This is Brian Billick. I'm joined by my partner, Jim Mora, and welcome to the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's a sure sign of the good time. So let's get started. Uh, Jim, a lot of great games over the weekend, probably none bigger than the Giants going into Foxborough and beating uh, the New England Patriots. Besides the game itself, and a, and a question that everybody keeps asking now, and it's one that we can volley around, is Eli Manning an elite quarterback? I think the important thing here is how do you define elite? And for me, elite is top three, top four maybe. And uh, no, he doesn't fall into that category for me, but I think he's a fantastic quarterback. I think he's a winner. I think he shows up at clutch time. I'd love to have him quarterbacking my team, but when I compare him to uh, Aaron Rodgers or his brother Peyton or a Tom Brady or a Drew Brees, and I would say, no, he's not – he's not those guys, you know, and, and for me pushing it to four and, you know, I know you, you'll add one more name to that list to make it five. That's on the cusp of, you know, what elite really is. So I, I just have to say, no, he's not an elite quarterback, but he's a darn good one. And it, it always, it comes back to the conversation because those that think that he is will say, well, look, the guy's got a Super Bowl. Well, those are two different conversations. To me, that's always kind of the FU part of the argument sitting at the bar. It's, okay, if we're going to talk about, for instance, the great quarterbacks of all time, well, let's set the criteria before, not afterwards. Do you have to win a Super Bowl to be considered a great quarterback? And if you do, then let's throw out Marino, let's throw out Warren Moon, let's throw out uh, Fouts. I mean, there's a lot of guys that we're throwing off the table here. So we're saying, no, 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 they need to be a part of the conversation. Well, that's a different criteria. So... Winning a Super Bowl certainly helps that status for Eli. I'm with you. When I look at the elite quarterbacks, I would put Ben Roethlisberger, right. which is a little different because you view him differently. He's not an elite quarterback in the same conventional sense of the guys you mentioned, Breeze, Brady, Aaron Rodgers. But with the winning and the way he does it, I, I think, makes him elite. Now, so does Eli Manning supplant one of those guys, or do we expand? He's closing in on it. He, he could right. make that. He is. He I'd is. expand my list to six for him if he continues to play the way he is. Well, I think your point on Ben Roethlisberger is really a relevant one because I think uh, we all like the beautiful quarterback, the guy that has the great throwing motion and, and is very conventional in the way he does things. And uh, Ben is not that guy. I mean, he's big and he's sometimes a little gawky, but he's tough and he's excellent in the pocket and you know he, he wins football games and he leads his team and he shows toughness and uh it just for me the whole question is where do you draw the line on elite you know and and to say for me to say that Eli Manning in my book is not an elite quarterback is in by is is no way a slap in the face of Eli Manning you know I think that he's an outstanding quarterback I really like him like I said I like him playing quarterback on a team that I was coaching but uh I just have to narrow my definition of elite. And and also I think it, it bears talking about, I don't know that you have to have an elite quarterback to win the championship. You don't. We've already proved that with Eli Manning. Um, you have to have a good one. You have to, in my opinion, at least have one in that next echelon. Right. I, I think you have to have a top 10 guy yeah. or you're really kind of you know, swimming upstream, so to speak. And certainly Eli belongs clearly in oh, that yeah. next group. Well, what he does is he, Brian, is, is you, you know, he, he won a Super Bowl, so we know he can win the big games. He excels in crunch time. Uh, his teammates have tremendous confidence and faith in him. They love the fact that he's their quarterback. He is a leader. He shows toughness, mental and physical and emotional toughness. 
he plays in a in a tough environment in New York with a you know very difficult media, and he handles it just fine. And besides all that, he has always had to play in the shadow of his brother, you know. And those are some pretty big. That's a big shadow to have to play in, and he still continues to excel. So, like I said, I think he's outstanding. I have a ton of respect for him. Uh, but, you know, when you start saying elite, right. okay, to me, elite is there's only a couple of those guys. Now, New York coming up has at San Francisco, Philly, at New Orleans, in Green Bay. So, you know, we're going to be doing this every week over the next month or so. He could, you know, he could find his way into that group. Oh, he could easily. He, if they can go win, well, shoot, if they win all four of those and oh, he gosh. plays well, then I, I think you have to, you know, I have to certainly go back and reevaluate uh, where I put him. You know, we're talking, because I think what we have to talk about is a couple things. Are we talking about the body of work, which would encompass an entire career? Are we talking about just this season? Or, you know, the last right. four weeks when we define, you know, how are we defining elite and how are we, how are we right. defining what type of quarterback this guy is? But if he can go through the next four weeks and come out with wins and play really well, shoot, if he goes three and one, you know, that's sure. pretty darn good too. Uh, and it's, it's semantics, but a quarterback can have an elite year, but I don't know if that makes him an elite quarterback. So you're exactly good right. The, bo- the body of work, and but he is having enough experience now that he can find his way. For instance, Cam Newton, at the end of the year, at the end of the day, may be having an elite year when you factor in, but you you can't say he's an elite quarterback yet. No. You need a larger body of work. So let's go to the other side of the ball, but one one of the teams that does have an elite guy in Tom Brady and the Patriots. And looking at that game, you know, Tom Brady, as every elite quarterback can do, can cover up a lot of ills on a team. He can. You can win a lot of games with a lot less talent than you normally would need if you have an elite quarterback. But that Patriot defense just progressively more and more questions in my mind. Oh, I, I agree with you. And uh, as great as Tom Brady is, you know, you can only cover it up for so long. And uh, right now they're being exposed on defense. Their lack of personnel is being exposed on defense because I think you and I both would agree that it's certainly not scheme. Bill Belichick is a fantastic scheme coach, uh, but even as good as he is right now, he can't come up with schemes that protect the lack of talent that, that he's playing with right now on defense, nor can Tom Brady come up with enough points to, to you know, act as a deodorant for the problems that they've got on defense. But I think, you know, to expand on the definition of an, an elite quarterback, I think we'd all agree that Tom Brady is. But, you know, the fact that in his career, this was just the second time that they've lost back-to-back games. That is pretty incredible. That that speaks to me about consistency. And that, to me, makes the Giants win even that much more substantial. You have to be impressed with it. I, I mistakenly, at the end of last year, thought that young Patriot defense was getting better. And I thought, okay, this is going to get interesting because what I saw near the end of the year was them improving, uh, better meshed up. We talk about mesh and a defense being in mm-hmm. sync and how important that is. I thought I saw signs of that, but this year, the just lack of ability and and frankly, let's you know we got to critique here a little bit. And Bill Belichick's got three Super Bowls and he's brilliant, but it's one stop shopping. He's head coach and general manager, and they're well known for manipulating the draft. No one has more draft choices, and they move up and down and fall back. But they have to look seriously at. Who you know? Where are we personnel wise? 
because they just don't have the guns on defense that given all the draft choices that they've had uh, and some of the picks that they've had to make, um, and and I, I don't know that it's yielding a lot right well, now. Well, I think, you know, I think sometimes uh, these deals that, that the Patriots make push their picks into the future, and I don't know that they're realizing the talent uh, in the present. And, you know, it's always neat when you can say, boy, he traded this pick and he gets two number ones next year. Well, those two number ones next year, they're not helping you this year. You know, and this is such a what have you done for me lately league, and you got to win now to maintain the credibility that you've worked so hard to build up. I think sometimes that, you know, you, you get so creative in the draft that sometimes maybe you, you hamper your ability to win right now. And I think that's what we're seeing a little bit with the Patriots because, Brian, there's really no excuse given the plethora of draft picks that they've had and that they have for them having the cupboard so bare on defense. That, those were the, always the conversations that were fun to have when – when I was coaching in Baltimore, again, a group that was pretty good in drafting, when we were talking about, well, we're going to give up a one and get a two and a three, or we're going to get a two, it was, those are numbers. I, I don't I don't want to talk numbers. Those, right. I don't care about those numbers. You want players. Tell me what the body is. Right. If I give up my second, if we're going to fall back, tell me the body I'm giving up. Because I've looked at the film, too. And I may agree. You know what? The body you're telling me I'm going to get at number 35, I'm okay because I'm going to pick up 62 and 85 well I've seen those bodies too and I like that or it's okay and they maybe that sounds good to give up a two and get a three and a four but you know what that body at 35 maybe something looks pretty good to me and fits right. our team so you, yeah you got to put a name to it. what's the to just take pride and oh look at the deal we pulled off I don't know what that means right it's uh you know you hear these personnel people and they talk about value uh you know we, we need to make this trade because of the value that it brings to us in future drafts or later in this draft and as a coach you're saying okay great but what I value is I value good football players in my locker room playing on the field for me on Sunday that's what I value let's last week we kind of uh, had an extended conversation about Joe Flacco and the Baltimore Ravens and how good was he and what is leadership we talked about he and Cam Cameron and well they went into Pittsburgh and it was fascinating well last week when we talked about we weren't sure Baltimore could go into Pittsburgh duplicate the formula that they did the first game. They didn't get the turnovers. They didn't run the ball as well. Uh, and it was a it was like two prize fighters just exchanging body blows. Two great defenses. But And I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here a little bit. The difference in the game was at the end of the game when Flacco got into the gun and did what he so did so brilliantly against Arizona to come from behind, where we've been, at least I've been advocating, and I think you agree, that this is maybe where they're at their best. I was thrilled to see Joe Flacco be put in that position and answer the bell in Pittsburgh. Well, yeah, because it's a different environment than going against the Colts at home. This is Pittsburgh on the road, and having to do it again, Just, I think I'm sure it solidifies for their staff, you'd at least hope so, that, hey, there's another way we can win on offense. And for those players in the locker room, uh, hey, there's another way we can win, and that's by putting our quarterback in the shotgun. So if they can have it both ways, if they can continue to to run the football effectively and put Joe Flacco in situations where he can stand back there, survey the field, make the good decisions, throw the ball down the field like he does, then I think it's just going to make him a, a, a really tough team to beat when it comes to crunch time because – you know, we all love teams that can run the football, but in order to win in this league, you've got to be able to score points. And to score a lot of points, you've got to be able to throw the football. So I think they just have to – it's a little paradigm shift for them offensively. And, you know, we see it from the outside, and you kind of hope they see it from the inside yeah. the same way we see it from the outside. And and if indeed the Ravens were able to parlay this into a championship, I think we'll look back at this game 
and saying this was a, a tipping point. Because let's remember the last time Joe Flacco was in Pittsburgh. It was in the playoffs. And it was after jumping up on top and then basically throwing the game literally and figuratively away in the second half in Pittsburgh for him to come back in that environment with what's at stake – and to have the game that he did, not only just for fans and from us from the outside, but for his teammates as well. They're supporting him, but for him to do that in the way that he did, this could truly be a tipping point for him. I think he's validating the quarterback that he's becoming. You know, we, we've all seen glimpses and, and stretches where he's been an outstanding player, but um, he just showed such maturity and poise last night, especially in that final drive, leading him to a victory. If you're a, a Ray Lewis or Ned Reed standing on the sidelines, and you've been publicly supporting this guy, but you, you maybe you have some questions. Can he really, can he really shoulder the load and 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 be this guy that we need him to be to win a championship? And then he goes out against the Steelers, a very good defense on the road, and does it. I mean, you go, hey, that's our guy, man. Yet, and you've been saying all along, right. that's our guy. But now it's man, no, no, no. I mean, it really not. That's our guy. I'm not sure going forward that. And the Ravens' schedule going forward is a pretty favorable one. And they could indeed, I've made the comment all along, that once they get past the Pittsburgh game, I'm not sure who on their schedule. They're at San Diego, okay, so that, and they got Cincinnati a couple times, okay. But I'm not sure who's on that schedule that you'd say, okay, the Ravens. So they could run the table here. And, And for my money, in a perfect world, now it may age John Harbaugh 10 years, but they could stay with their formula, play good defense, run the ball, uh, keep a tight framework, and probably win out. But I'm not sure they're not better served if they're not put into the position a couple times where they've got to put Flacco back in the gun, spread it out, continue to build on that. In critical situations, I think that would better serve them once they get into the playoffs. Oh, I, I entirely agree with you. And I'm sure that as a coaching staff, you know, you, you love to win every game going away, but you build character when you have to win them tough. And you find out about your team when you have to win those tough games. And you find out about what you can do well and what you struggle at when you have to win those tough games. And for for Baltimore, what we've discovered here the last couple of weeks is that they can put Joe Flacco in the gun and give him the keys to the car and let him drive it, and, and he can win for them. And uh, that's a nice deal. And you're right, though. You know, it, it it's uh, – It'll be interesting to see if they stick with that formula, if they just go back to this, this lineup and I and let's run it and let's play action passion, let's play great defense. Because I think that, for them, probably defines toughness, and they like to think of themselves as a tough-minded team, and they are a tough-minded team. But, you know, I think, you know we all know that uh, – and they know, they know, they know that to win in this league, you've got to be able to fling the ball down the field and score points. How, how good can they be if, indeed, they develop that aspect of it? Yeah, well, they don't want to go too far one way. That's Absolutely. the only thing, and they won't because – they are a tough-minded team. They like to play tough, hard-nosed football. And, uh, but they're smart coaches. You know, we know that Harbaugh is a smart coach, and we know he has a great feel for his team. And uh, you know, It'll be fun to watch these guys down the stretch because they put themselves in a great position right now. So many great games to talk about that were substantial in terms of teams, I think, identifying wins. We, we talked last week, Jim, about the criteria going forward now. Any game, you look at it and say, what, what do we take from that game? Well, who was it, how did they play, and where was it played? And we had a bunch of games where teams went in on the road. The Jets at the Bills is a perfect example. A lot on the line. I think we learned a lot about both teams in this instance. Sometimes you learn more about one team 
than the other. You know, the Broncos right. going in and beating the Raiders. I, I I don't know if we didn't learn more about the Raiders than we did the Broncos there. I you you've obviously all along been talking about the Jets are a good football team. You think they're a playoff caliber football team. This was clearly a big win for them to get their swagger back. I think they were uniquely matched up to play play well against Buffalo well, because yeah, of their ability right. to play man. You're you're right because they they can go in and and you know. Um, Fitzpatrick likes to get rid of the ball quick, but they can go you know, those corners they've got. They can put their hands on guys, and they can eliminate some of that quick stuff that early, that uh, that short that short stuff in the passing game, just because they're so athletic and so physical in the line of scrimmage, and give their rush a chance to get there. But I just have always liked the mindset of the Jets, and even when they went through that three game losing streak, and there was some chaos out there, I've always felt like chaos kind of galvanized this team. You know, they're they're a team that sort of lives on the edge, you know, with Rex out there as boisterous as he is and some of the things that come out of their locker room. But it seems that when there's chaos all around them or there's tough times, it strengthens them. And uh, they're, like I said, I think they're a tough-minded football team, and I think they have a lot of confidence. And I think they're, you know, they have a, a an athletic arrogance to them that, you know, even when we lose, you know, how could, how could we have lost? You, you, you beat us? I mean, what happened? Did I wear the wrong shoes? Did, you know, did we, something was wrong? Did you poison our food? You know, and uh, they just they just have a real strong belief in, in what Rex tells them. They have a real strong belief in each other. Uh, it's a tight bond, and, and I think they're just a good football team. I like them a lot. It's going to be fascinating to see because they've got the Patriots this week. Yeah. And this is a Patriot team that's got to feel a little vulnerable right now. Mm-hmm. They're playing a Jet team that, as you say, has that sense of swagger about them. Yeah. And they've seen a bit of a template, maybe not so much the Giant game, but the Pittsburgh game where they matched up man for man with the small ball New England Patriots, and certainly the Jets, I think, have more assets to match up man-to-man like that with New England than did even the Pittsburgh Steelers. So uh, they're, I think they're getting the Patriots at just the right time. It'll be interesting to see what Rex comes up with, with in terms of a motivational ploy because he's always been able to play the underdog role. And, oh, I'm not as smart as Belichick. And, you know, I, you know, and that's not the case anymore. You know, right now. Not that he ever really believed that. Oh, he never <laughs> believed that. Are you kidding me? That was <laughs> He was manipulating the media, but now he uh, it'll be fun to see what he comes up with in terms of when he sits down in front of the media to talk about the Patriots in this game, you know, how he plays it. They're, they're, um, and, and let's talk a little bit about as good as the Jets are playing. I, I know you and you said you kind of think they might be even better than they were last year. I have some questions about are they running the ball as well, but they can certainly get there. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they still can't put a, a pass rush on with just a four- mm-hmm. or five-man rush. they still got to scheme it. Which Obviously, they can do, though, because they've got the corners absolutely. that can cover. So it fits. The question still is Sanchez. Uh, what do we see in Sanchez? I'm not sure that we've seen the game yet this year that says truly he's like a Joe Flacco. All right, can we throw this on his shoulders? He right. has not had that game yet. I think it's just, you know, you're searching for consistency there. What you want to see is a guy that from the start of the game to the end of the game plays well and does it multiple weeks in a row. You know, doesn't have stretches where he's not playing well. Has uh, I, I want to see consistency. I believe in the kid. I think that he's a winner. I think that he's got toughness. I think that he's got great competitiveness. I think that his whole life he's found a way to get it done. But I think that that's not enough at this level. You know, I think you still need to have a consistency about the way you play, and it's got to be not only through a game, but like I said, through a bunch of games. 
Well, I don't think they're going to let us. You, know, you and I both enjoy these podcasts, but I don't think they're going to let us do it anymore unless we talk about Tim Tebow. Who? Yeah. We, Who's that? We, we, uh, we seem obligated to have to. Uh, that was certainly an interesting game against the, the Raiders. And as we say, who, how'd you do it, and where was it? I'm not sure we didn't learn more about the Raiders in their loss to the Broncos than we did about the Broncos because the Broncos did it in impressive fashion. Certainly you got to give Tebow his due. He, he ran for 118 yards, only threw for 124. I, we'll talk about it again. Is that a formula for success no. in this league? It's a formula for beating bad teams is what it is. And it's a formula, like you said earlier, Brian, before we started this podcast for being 5-7, and 6-10, and ten, uh, not 5-7, and 5-11, and 6-10. and 10, You know, maybe you get to 7-9, and nine, but – for winning consistently and winning the big games in this league, no. It's it's absolutely not a formula. And I think, you know, if you just look at John Fox in his post-game press conference, um, he certainly didn't seem overjoyed and thrilled. And they've won two of their last three games. But I think that John probably realizes that there are going to be limitations with a quarterback like Tim Tebow. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was great in college, okay? And he's a great kid, and we all love everything about him except for the fact that he can't throw the football well enough to win consistently in the NFL. And I'm just going to say that, and I'm going to stick with it. And, hey, I hope he proves me wrong someday, but I don't think he will. I've got a question, the Raiders' approach to the game. Yeah. I mean, if you know that there's a kid that cannot throw the ball and that if you sit patiently in the proper zones – that he's going to throw you enough balls yep. or dirt enough of them that's going to get you the win. Why would you match up and play man? I know the Raiders and the mentality of man, but the last thing I want to do with a quarterback that's as likely to pull the ball down and run, the last thing I want to do is play a lot of man and turn my back to that guy right. if he gets into the second level. Well, here's a couple things. Number one, he's got an extremely slow delivery. So if you're sitting and he telegraphs his throws, he, he shows you where he's going to throw it. He, look, he stares down his receiver. So if you're playing zone defense and you've got seven players with their eyes on the football, on the quarterback, then you're going to get some breaks. You're going to get some tremendous breaks and have a chance to make some plays on the football. The other thing is you sit in zone with eyes on the quarterback and he starts to run, you're going to be able to react up and make a tackle. But like you said, Brian, the minute you turn your back to him, number one, you can't react to the throw. You can't break on the, the start of his motion, which is you know the slowest throwing motion I think I've ever seen at this level. Maybe uh, uh, maybe who was the kid that played at Florida a long time ago that was Heisman Trophy winner that was a – Oh, Gino Toretta. Well, oh, no, that was at Miami. There's, there's another, a few. There's a long Florida, list of names. Florida, from Florida. Uh, 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 Shane Matthews. Yeah, well, you just keep naming oh, Florida guys and you're going to hit one there's of them. Bunch. But anyway, uh, you turn your back to him and you can't get the break on the ball. And then, like you said, maybe more importantly, when he takes off and runs, you can't see that he's running. So I don't know why you'd ever play a whole lot of man on this guy unless it was a third and short situation. And the Raiders obviously coming off a little bit of confidence there. Now, this is the AFC West, so they're still in the thick of it. They're going to play Thursday night. This is going to be a big game against the, the San Diego Chargers. And I understand wanting to match up man for man for them. You know, well, Rivers uh, can't run. Right. And, and and if you sit in zone too passively, He'll Rivers will apart. slice you up. <laughs> right. So I, I'm not saying that, 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 that man defense is a bad thing. It's just you got to pick. Pick and pick. choose when you play. Yeah, why? Why would you do that? So I, I don't know. know. I, I, you know, I think I probably would say that Bresnahan coming in said, you know, we can lock up these receivers, 
and we'll make this guy fit it into some really tight spaces because we'll be all over him. But I think you always have to account for the fact that he can run. And when you've got your back to a quarterback that can run, you're asking for trouble. When I coached Mike Vick, you very rarely saw straight man-to-man defense unless it was a blitz where you were filling up all the gaps Okay, so he couldn't run. Or like I said, it was a third and short situation where you really need to get your hands on on the receivers early in the down. But you're better off playing man against a guy that's a questionable decision maker that has you're you're better off playing zone against a guy that's a questionable decision maker that has a slow motion that telegraphs where the ball is going and that runs the football. Yeah, I, I had the San Diego Green Bay game, and as long as we're in the NFC or the AFC West, and and obviously a lot going on in San Diego, people questioning Philip Rivers. The end of the day now, Philip Rivers, again, they've been victims to some turnovers. And, and you got to give the Packer defense. Dom Capers, again, we both mm-hmm. agree, one of the great defensive yes. coordinators. Going into the game, I, I was watching very closely for the fact that, and I talked with Philip Rivers about it, they had not faced each other before. And it really is a quarterback facing a coordinator sometimes. Right, it you is. Think of it in terms of, you know, North Turner calling the plays and Dom Capers being the defensive coordinator. But when you play Dom Capers, it really is the quarterback versus Dom Capers because he is so brilliant in terms of what he shows you, what you think you're seeing. And there were a couple of instances. Now, there were just, uh, you know, a couple bad throws, obviously, that can happen to any quarterback. But the interception for a touchdown by Tremont Williams was a classic Dom Capers, you think you see what you see, and all of a sudden it's not. He had a guy out into the flat. He thought he saw a dropping corner. Great, this is going to be an easy chump change, five, six-yard gain. The safety was going over the top. It was a trap, two-deep zone. Tremont Williams go jumping all over it, and it's pick six the other way. Well, it was just a well-designed defensive scheme. And, you know, on the flip side, we've seen that burn the Packers on occasion, but the great thing about the Packers and what gives Dom Capers so much flexibility is, number one, he's got a lot of talented players back there, but number two, he's got an offense that if they take a chance and it bites them, they got a quarterback that can come back and make it up for them because statistically they're not very good on defense in terms of yards, but in terms of taking the ball away and scoring touchdowns, they're pretty darn good. That was just – it was one of those plays as a defensive coach that you just really admire because the player took what the coach talked about in the meeting and on the practice field during the week and applied it in the game. And that doesn't always happen. And I'm sure Dom's told Tremaine, he says, listen, I want you to backpedal three steps. And we got to bait him into thinking that that's, you know, single safety middle and there's no one in the flat and the flat's going to be open. No hard corner out there. And then boom, you're going to roll up. And it was just, it was beautifully executed. You saw the safety hold down in the hole like he was playing that inside hook technique. And then boom, he bailed out to the half and Tremaine took those steps and rolled up and as experienced as Phillips Rivers is and as much as he's seen in his career and as quickly as he can diagnose defenses, they fooled him, and that's hard to do. And you saw in the second half, and you give the Chargers credit, they, they could have folded any number of times. And they were without some people. They didn't have Malcolm Floyd. They didn't have Ryan Matthews. They didn't have Sean Phillips defensively, Luis Castillo. They, they were a little shorthanded on right. a short week. It's a lot of talent standing yeah, on the sidelines. Standing on the side, that's a lot of money. Stand, look, as a coach, right. around, going, that's a lot of money Where's my standing guys? around me. But, but then you saw what was anticipated when he had made those mistakes and got trapped, although he played very well and moved them down the field, you also saw some hesitation in the pocket. Sure. Him holding the ball a little bit. Now, is this really what, really I'm, what seeing? I'm seeing? I don't yeah. want to make another one of these mistakes. And it caught him a couple times, particularly in the final drive, when they had a chance to come down and drive and maybe tie the score up. You saw a couple sacks because you saw a little hesitation with him holding the ball because he wanted to make sure that what he saw was exactly what was happening. Yeah, with Dom, you know, he designs these defenses that, 
they never are what they appear to be pre-snap. They look like something pre-snap, and then it's completely different once the ball is snapped. You know, they, they morph into a different type of coverage than what you anticipated them being. And when you've got the great athletes like Charles Woodson and those types of guys and that, that have the athletic ability to get to certain spots on the field that you didn't necessarily think they could get to, uh, you can do a lot of things. There's a lot of things. You can have a lot of flexibility in your defense. And like I said earlier, it's nice to have a guy on the other side playing quarterback that can make up for some of the mistakes you make when you do get rather exotic and it doesn't work. Well, we just got done talking a little bit about the Raiders and a little bit about the Chargers. Of course, Thursday night, we got Thursday night football on the NFL Network coming up. These two teams are matching up. It's the Raiders at the Chargers. Let's talk a little about that matchup. As, as vulnerable as the Chargers are right now, I love Phillip Rivers. If they get healthy and they can get Malcolm Floyd back and Ryan Matthews back, if they can get their defense back uh, and going a little bit, I, I just I got to like the Chargers. I think the Raiders schematically um, got exposed a little bit the last couple weeks, and I'm not real confident in what they're doing on either side of the ball schematically. Well, they're an inconsistent team, you know, and they – I think they play off the emotion of their coach, and I think that can only take you so far. And they obviously played off the emotion of losing their leader and owner, Al Davis, for a while. But, you know, those things run out, and eventually you have to be able to execute. And you have to be solid in your schemes. And you have to have answers for your players when things aren't going well. And I'm not sure that right now those things are clicking for the Raiders. And I I think that they're walking into a rat's nest or a hornet's nest on uh, Thursday night. Neither one's good. Neither one. (laughs) Rats or hornets. Rats or hornets. I don't want to walk into either nest. But it's going to be, I think, very difficult for the Raiders to win this football game. I don't think they're as good a team as as they were appearing to be earlier in the season. I think they've been exposed a little bit, both schematically and talent-wise. And, and, and again, I'm not, it's not my job to make excuses. The Chargers played a Green Bay Packer team, and, and I'll say this, and, and looking at them live, this is my first game that I did of Green Bay this year. You saw it, obviously, last year. I think I had three or four Green Bay games. And I'm, I'm just old enough. I've been fortunate <laughs> to be able to watch and be a part of some pretty good offenses, obviously that 15-1-1998 Viking team, to watch, be around and watch some of the Niners right. stuff in Joe Montana let's let fair is fair too. The Green Bay Packers offensively right now are absolutely brilliant. I've never seen anything like it. Abs- and that's saying a lot now because we've seen a little bit yeah. of football. Absolutely brilliant in what they're doing. So let's give the Chargers their due that they came within a seven-point game of be on a short week. And that's another thing I want to – in talking with Norv, and, and uh, you know, I'm very supportive of what the league does and we're worried about player safety. But the league for the San Diego Chargers make them play on Monday. They play on Sunday and come back on a Thursday night. Three games in 11 days. I've had to do that once, but fortunately for us, they were all at home. Were they all at home? For no, them? no. Yeah, Let's see, remember that. And that, just do that, my hard, point being, man. to do that and turn around and say, but player safety is a premium for us? Yeah, that's – I, uh, I don't know. I think that's a little That's a little contradiction. You know, um, talking about the uh, – the Packers here for a minute, and you know, you're talking about how brilliant they are on offense. And I had them the second week of the season, and I made the comment in in our open. I said that I felt that Aaron Rodgers was playing his position, quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, as well as any athlete in professional sports was playing their position or their role. They were he was performing as well as any performer in professional sports. And people said, Are "You nuts!" I mean, how about Roger Federer? How about I said, "I'm just telling you, yeah. I don't see anybody in sports." 
performing as well as this guy's performing. He's gone, what is it now, every game this year his rating, his passer rating, I know you're not a big passer rating right. fan, but it's been over 110. Yeah. That's pretty darn good, regardless whether you like passer rating or not. That's pretty darn good. Whatever rating, yeah. Yeah. and plus the eyeball test. You know yeah. what? I don't know if the rating's good, but that looks pretty good. Yeah, and there's a there's a zero in the loss column, which says a lot. Well, so it's a Thursday night matchup. It's going to be a great one. I think we both think that the Chargers are going to be able to take that. Let's let's talk about some of the other games. Uh, obviously, a couple interesting com- ones come up. The NFC South. We have some great divisional yeah. battles going on. The AFC. Uh, West, obviously, the NFC South, and mm-hmm. with the way New Orleans has been up and down, Atlanta with Julio Jones. Julio mm. Jones was spectacular. Wow, how I did b- that game. How about it? that? Did that? Uh, I mean, the that ca- speed and pot just popped out at you. Well, first of all, the catch he made where he dove and caught it on yeah. the in, in, on the end zone, on, right on the goal line. The body control that he showed to slip between the defenders, the concentration he showed to track that ball. And then the ability showed to get his hand and his arm underneath it and catch it was amazing. So that showed you one part of his game. And then he catches a slant and takes it 80 yards for a touchdown. And he looks like he's gliding. He's so fast and no one can catch. He's just leaving everyone behind. The guy's about 6'3", 220. You talk to Tony Gonzalez in the production meeting on Saturday. You say, tell us about Julio Jones. Now, Tony Gonzalez, a 15-year pro. He's definitely going to the Hall of Fame. He's the second leading receiver in the history of the game. And he says, I have never in my career seen a guy as talented as Julio Jones. You say, Matt Ryan, tell us about Julio Jones. He said, oh, my God, the guy's a beast. You know, Curtis Lofton says, this guy doesn't play like a rookie. He is something special. It was really fun to watch him play. But, you know, the NFC South is is a really good division. And I think what I see right now is I see Tampa fading. I, I think Tampa's going to fade. Yeah. You know, I just don't think they, they're able to keep up yet with what the Saints and the Falcons are as a football team. I think that Tampa eventually, you know, they're very young. They're younger, as they say, uh, is going to be able to contend. But right now I think it's a two-man race between the Saints and Falcons, and what a game Sunday's going to be. Yeah, and the, and the Falcons are gaining some ground. I want to talk just briefly. We had a conversation earlier, and it, it bears repeating because people – it's hard for people to appreciate how hard it is to win in the oh, NFL. God, and brutal. the pressures you, with only 16 games. There's not it's not 162 like Major League Baseball. It's not 89 or now I don't know how many plays games they'll play in the NBA, but 16 games and you you had the game you mentioned you thought Atlanta fell. And they were playing Indianapolis. Right. They're playing Indianapolis and you felt like they were a little tight going into the game. Yeah. And and I talked to Mike Smith, who's my brother-in-law and and, play, and coached for me a number of years in Baltimore. And I talked to Mike on Saturday. I don't think I'm betraying confidences. I just, it, I had to giggle because here I talked to Mike on Saturday. He's at the hotel and he's sitting there scared to death, worried that they might lose to the Indianapolis Colts. Well, people don't understand. Every game is a, an absolute battle to the end. I mean, the, the parity in this league, and you know, people say, "Oh, there's a lot of parity in the NFL." There really is. The difference between the Green Bay Packers at eight and zero and the Indianapolis Colts at zero and eight. I mean, there's a difference. Certainly, there's a dramatic difference, but. Not as much as people would think. There's talented players on both sides. There's great competitors on both sides. And every game is a battle. And when you win, it doesn't matter who you beat. I mean, you are, first of all, you're emotionally exhausted and you're ecstatic because you got to win in the NFL. And those wins are hard to get. And when you face a team that has not won a game yet, I mean, you talk about as a head coach, you're scared to death because you don't want to be that one. You know, the, hey, they're one and seven. Well, who was the one? Oh, the one was us. Oh, my goodness. You know, but you also understand, you you understand very clearly, you know, how 
tough it is to win in this in this league and how a team that doesn't look very good can jump up and bite a team that looks very good the week before. Yeah, that's so. why we coaches all look yeah, we more than it. we really are because <laughs> it's just to sit there and be so concerned about the Indianapolis Colts. It's uh, let's uh, uh, let's flip it a little bit. Uh, about the Saints, because we see that the Atlanta, I think the the arrow's up, Julio Jones getting back in the lineup. The Saints are a hard team to figure out right now. Uh, they ought to be good. I think they ought, because they're, they're, uh, they're going to have to play on the road, which will be a different factor. And we know the Falcons are very good at home. Drew Brees is turning the ball over still a little bit much like last year. It's got me concerned. Well, they've just been inconsistent. You know, it's a win and a loss and a win and a loss. And so they're another team, I think, that's looking for consistency. And I think what you're seeing with the Falcons is a team that's finding consistency because that's something that Mike Smith said is we, we've got to become more consistent as a football team. And yesterday, even though it was the Colts, I saw a team that was becoming more consistent. We know how well they play at home. Uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. It's going to be a great game to track. But I, I just feel myself like the Falcons are a team that's really on the rise. I think the, the arrow's pointing up for the Atlanta Falcons right now, and I think they're going to finish really strong. I'm going to keep my eye on Darren Sproles for the oh, Saints. Boy, he, looks, he, he looks like he's shot out of a cannon every yeah. time he gets the ball. That matchup, you know, it used to be they had to worry about Reggie Bush and the motioned out and do all those types of things. The Falcons handling Darren Sproles if they don't win at home my guess is Darren Sproles is going to have a big game well Darren Sproles is Reggie Bush times two I mean you talk about quickness and explosiveness his ability to to be a blocker in the backfield to create matchup problems coming out of that out of the backfield whether he's aligned in the backfield releasing into a route or split out wide uh, you know, on a linebacker, his ability to run between the tackles and then when he spurts through that hole to get to the second level and and make people miss is just really uncanny. Well, that's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes or go to the NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 630 Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.